0: Hi, and welcome to What the Phalange, the podcast where we watch every episode of Friends, discuss it, deconstruct it, and fan over it, one episode at a time. My name is
1: Emily, pronouns she and her. My name is Quinn, pronouns zizir or they them. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7, The One with the Blackout. This episode aired on November 3rd, 1994, and it was written by Mike Sikowitz and Jeff Astroff, and directed by James Burroughs. This week, we watched the documentary...
0: 13th, found on Netflix. It's a film that highlights a small stipulation in the American 13th Amendment that has been used to create a prison industrial system that has propagated slavery in America. If you're under the impression that slavery and the Jim Crow era is over, we highly recommend watching this documentary in order to understand why black people in North America are not just fighting for equality, they are still fighting for their
1: freedom. You can find this film in our show notes, as well as the link to the Black Lives Matter card, which is a very thorough pool of resources to support the movement in a variety of ways.
0: Okay, so, hello. Welcome back, everyone. Um, so back. The blackout episode.
1: The one with the blackout. So, the one that I wish was longer. <laughs> the one that I wish was long. That's cute. Um, Quinn, do you want to explain briefly what this episode is about? Okay. So we have,
0: normally Friends episodes have like the three different storylines happening at once. And trying to decipher what those three storylines here, I think it's a little bit less clear cut because of the fact that like a lot of them are together. We definitely have separately Chandler. Yeah. Right? Chandler, Chandler and Jill
1: Goodacre. Yeah.
0: Chandler stuck in the ATM vestibule. Um, and then we have the other four who are at home at Monica's five. apartment. Yeah, other five at Monica's apartment. <laughs> Math. Um, <laughs> and I guess we had a disagreement as to like what the two other storylines were. In my mind, it was uh, Ross being friend zoned. Like, so mm-hmm. Ross and Joey having like going through that quote
1: unquote friend zoned. Right,
0: which we will get into. <laughs> Um, And then you have uh, Rachel finding passion.
1: Interesting. See, and I would argue that the storyline is Ross, Rachel, Paolo. So that being a storyline. And then the other storyline, which is actually more prominent on the DVDs and less in the Netflix episode, the storyline of Phoebe being the last to know anything. Um, And then that kind of comes up a few times throughout the episode. But Mainly, there's like the Ross and Rachel thing going on, and then there's the Chandler in the vestibule thing. Yeah, and everything else is just sort of supporting those st-
0: those storylines, Fluffy, fluffing,
1: fluffer. yeah, 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 comedic relief. So a little bit about the context of this episode. Um, So I think we've mentioned in past episodes of this podcast that there was another sitcom going on at the same time as the TV show Friends. Did it air right before or right after? So yeah, it it was called Mad About You, and it would air immediately before... Um, Friends would air on NBC on Thursday nights and Mad About You was going on for uh, two seasons prior to Friends and so Mad About You is in season three when Friends is in season one Um, and Mad About You just for a little context is basically about a couple their names are Paul and Jamie and they're a newly married couple living in New York City. And the reason why this is relevant (laughs) is because um, this episode has basically a direct correlation to the Mad About You episode that takes place immediately beforehand. But also there's already that
0: correlation between Phoebe and her twin sister. So there's already kind of been an established connection between the TV shows. So as Mm -hmm. we've mentioned in the past... Phoebe says that she has a twin sister who is a waitress whose name is Ursula, which is a character that uh, Lisa Kudrow Kudrow plays on Mad About You. So there's already like this link, like they live in the same universe, essentially.
1: Yeah, that's the idea of the show is that they're trying to indicate that the two universes exist simultaneously. And um, that comes up like later on in the show, actually, but... Uh, later on in season one, actually, but we won't get into that just yet. Um, and so the one, they actually explain why there is a blackout in New York City. So why Friends is experiencing a blackout, which basically what happens in the Mad About You episode that happens immediately before the blackout episode. Um, it's called Pandora's Box. And the idea is that Jamie, who is the, the, um, one of the, the, one of the people in the married couple, she is trying to steal cable from the neighbors. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, she accidentally basically short circuits the whole building, which in turn ends up blocking out all of the city of New York, which is, you know, not very likely, but it is cute. <laughs> um, and also I was kind of, so I I watched the blackout episode um, of Mad About You before watching the one with the blackout, and then I was doing a bit of research, and there was actually a third um, episode that's related to this NBC blackout lineup, and it's from the TV show Madman of the People. Um, which apparently wasn't a show that lasted very long. It lasted about 16 episodes and wasn't very popular. So on November 3rd, 1994, they had three episodes on NBC. From separate television shows. From separate television shows, all experiencing a blackout.
0: I thought also Seinfeld
1: was supposed to be included or something. So Seinfeld was not included, actually, which is, like, funny because it takes place in Manhattan. But maybe that area of New York didn't have a blackout.
0: Monica says it's all of Manhattan. That's true. They don't know why and it's knocked me up for a while. Wow. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so moving past that little fun fun fact of the day. Yeah. Would you recommend people like watch the Mad About You
1: episode just for the sake of having the context? Or yeah, why not? I I watched it for free on CTB, so yeah, okay, might as well. But um, it like I think that I like '90s sitcoms because I like Friends as a '90s sitcom, right? But I think like if I didn't have that like. What's the term? Like, sentimental... Connection. Yeah, connection with friends. I didn't have that with Matt About You, so I didn't feel the same kind of vibe for the characters. But again, they're in season three when this episode is aired, so maybe if you watched all three seasons, you might have more connection with these characters. But I just... I was just like, oh, this is cute, you know? Right, right. But, yeah. Okay. Um. So... Let's talk about the cold open, which is super
0: short. So we're back in the cafe for this cold open. Yeah,
1: that's true. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that.
0: Because last time we were in the theater, that was the first time we were not in the cafe for a cold open. But Mm -hmm. now we're back in the cafe. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is highlighting Phoebe's guitar playing for the first time in the non-DVD Yeah
1: version because the first episode of the season she's seen in a subway playing guitar but but that's not on the Netflix version yeah
0: yeah it's not on the streaming version of anything um so I think this is like the really the first time that we're exploring Phoebe's uh musical side and uh you don't really get to hear it in the first cold open actually yeah (laughs) she's cut short
1: yeah um, and then, meanwhile, um, Chandler's in the ATM vestibule, the power goes out, and then he's stuck in there with who we soon to find out to be Jill Goodacre. Yeah. Who is a real person. Yes. Is a real supermodel. Victoria's Secret? Real Victoria's Secret model from the 1980s to the early 1990s. So yeah. do we want to, like, um, talk about this plot line first? Yeah, we could just only talk about the Jill Goodacre plotline and then move into the rest of the plotline because there's a lot more to dissect in the other.
0: Yeah, I think one. But, so. Yeah, I feel like we have a lot to unpack <laughs> with Ross. Ah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we have Chandler. This is so painfully awkward, and oh, I yeah. feel like it's such a good insight into. Chandler. What it is to be Chandler and how painfully awkward it is to be yeah. Chandler.
1: Yeah, Chandler is rough. I yeah, I think we talked a little bit about this yesterday when we first watched the episode, and well, not first first watched the episode for the podcast. Um, and we kind of were getting into a bit of a debate as to whether or not like. Chandler is creepy in this or not. Oh
0: my God, I know.
1: Because, like, it's it's hard to say if he's, he's creepy or awkward. And I think that this is really interesting in the ways in which, like, I as a woman walk around and I don't know if a guy is socially awkward or if a guy is creepy. And sometimes the lines are really blurred and... You know, when it's a matter of personal safety, you kind of want to err on the side of caution. You want to be like, this guy is creepy. I need to keep my distance. I have to prepare, you know, hold my keys between my knuckles, which I've had to do plenty of times. You know, like, you know, pretend to be on your phone or whatever it is. You know, like Jill calls someone, mm-hmm. you know, lets them know that she's, like, in this situation. But at that point, she doesn't seem too worried about
0: him. Yeah. She's but then- like... Super chill. Like, yeah, I want to be her friend by the end of the episode. Yeah, she's super chill. Yeah, I will say that it's, like, the situation in and of itself is not a good one to feel comfortable. Um, Just, like, like in our poll, when we pulled people on our Instagram, would you be afraid if you were trapped in an 18M vestibule with a strange man? And 100% of people said yes, they would. Right. Um, and, you know, like, I didn't answer that. And my answer would probably be yes. You, yeah. You know, you're super cautious. Like... You know, Jill does all the right things, like you said. She calls someone. She lets them know where she is. She yeah. indicates that she's with someone else. Yeah. It's all done very casually. But as someone who is, like, a femme person and is perceived as such in society, we know that that's yeah. what you do. Yeah, you the, go through the steps. Yeah, and that. you try to do it in a way that doesn't escalate or yeah. do it in, like, a harm reduction kind of way. Yeah, for sure. Where you're not, like making this person feel like they're being villainized because usually that will just entice that very often entices men to just be a assholes and be more
1: aggressive, more like, aggressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So obviously if I was stuck in an ATM festival with Chandler, I wouldn't be creeped out. But if but, I, if you knew, but exactly. <laughs> so Chandler. that's the, that's the point is that like, I think, and I think that that is like one of those things where it kind of, Puts like it kind of concludes the debate about like whether or not he's creepy or antisocial or awkward because it doesn't matter if he's just antisocial because at the end of the day she could be in a harmful situation. And so even if he's not trying to be creepy, et cetera, et cetera, unfortunately she has to assume that he is, and she has to like be on guard and get ready um, because she doesn't know what's going to happen. And that really sucks, but is the reality of the situation. Um, But then like, you know, they get to talking and Chandler is just Chandler Chandlers. Like,
0: yeah, what I find very interesting about this storyline is seeing it from both points of view, and being able to see myself in both of these two characters, both Jill and Chandler. Oh, yeah. Like, being in the side of Jill, like, I definitely, I don't have a specific situation in mind, but knowing that, like, you know, anything from, like, entering onto an elevator for that you're going to be on for a very long time with, like, a strange man to, like, anything, it, it, there yeah. you, you, can, you can start to sense the
1: feeling that she might have. And then you also have Chandler. Like, being on a subway car, like, late at night and being the only person in the subway car with a guy. Yeah. That that's oh, that's definitely a thing that's like happened to me like at 11 30 PM taking a subway and you're the only one on the subway car with a guy sitting in the subway car and the entire time you're like, okay, it's only two minutes to the next station. All right, I got like my phone here. Okay. I don't have service. What can I do? Okay, I got my keys, gotta put my keys here. And like you just run through what am I gonna do if this situation escalates? And it's mm-hmm. like and. And that person can be perfectly fine and harmless and, like, at the end of the day is just probably trying to get home after a long day of work, you know what I mean? Like, but the thing is that it's, it's one of those situations where someone could argue, be like, well, not all men are going to rape you on a subway station, you know? But, like, unfortunately, there's enough men. And it's, yeah. like, it, it's that idea that you have to be on guard because there's enough of misogyny in the world that makes you have to care about your personal safety.
0: Yeah, I had someone once break it down in the sense of like um intensity of risk versus percentage. And so it's sort of like it could be oh, a very small percentage, but when when the risk is so high, yeah, and even though the ratio is so small, you take that ratio and you take it very seriously. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um for sure. I yeah. And that's just the way life kind of goes. But yeah. And you were also saying (laughs) not to mention
0: though, that the ratio is actually a lot higher than people will argue when they're like, not all men will rape you. Yeah.
1: Fun fact. One in three women have been sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Look around. Are there three women in the room?
0: (laughs) Also fun fact, two out of three of those women who are sexually assaulted will have been sexually assaulted by someone that they thought they could trust.
1: Hey, this is a fun conversation. Let's talk about the friend zone. No, kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, anyway, so circling back. um, So I can really see it through like Jill's, like standing in Jill's shoes. I feel like I have been Jill. Mm-hmm. But then you have this other side where you, where I have totally been Chandler. This is my social, ever... social nightmare. Oh my, it's, God. oh my God. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, you you feel so awkward or you're having such a strong internal monologue that you start mimicking it on the outside of your body and yeah, then suddenly you realize that there's someone else around you and you have yeah. to like... Try to play it off as like super casual. Like, oh my god, I meant to do that. I was actually doing this. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, like how he's like he he like decides that somehow he does not want sugarless gum. <laughs> like, oh my like, god, not that like Chandler would ever care if there was sugar in his gum. Like that's just not a Chandler thing. No, and it's just like and, and and I've totally been in that situation. And I feel as though this is again one of those moments where like this the writers really just captivate. Such a real human trait that happens, which is, like, you're in this awkward situation, you're kind of an awkward guy, not to mention the fact that he's, like, extra awkward around women, and he's just, like, trying to be, like, we just saw it in the last episode, you know, the one where he's trying to talk to Aurora. He doesn't know how to exist around another human, and he just, like, you know, like, is it sugarless? Then no, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) What? Chandler. Okay, and let's go forward with the gum situation. No, I. (laughs) I want to not even talk about this. Like it just it. Okay, we have to. (laughs) Okay, so for those who haven't seen this episode in a long time, maybe you didn't watch it before coming to this episode. There is a moment. Okay, so Chandler eventually decides that he's going to take the gum. First of all, by saying gum would be perfection. Oh my God. And he takes the gum oh, I'm, and then I'm he's, already. he's chewing it and he decides that he's going to, which is again, such a good moment in like, how can I look cool while chewing this gum? Like just, I, I've just been there so hard where you're like, like walking down the street and you're like, I'm going to walk on this curb. So I look like I'm rebellious. And then you like fall off the curb because you're an idiot.
0: And so, <laughs> and so Chandler tries to blow a bubble, and ends up spitting it out at the wall, which is not the worst part, guys. It gets worse. It gets worse. And then he decides that, okay, A, first thing you don't do is that you're going to take your gum and put it back in your mouth. You're going to casually reach over and put the gum back in your mouth. I'm sorry. There's no five-second rule on gum in a bank. In a bank! (laughs) like especially saying this now in the middle of a pandemic it's sort of like oh, oh god I didn't even think about that <laughs> there's just like so, many, so many things and then and then he puts oh a he puts the gum back in his mouth but then it's not his gum yeah why because other people have put their gum around which is another reason why you would never put your gum back into your mouth even if it was your own gum But here he is now putting someone else's gum back in his mouth because he was trying to look casual and cool and not looking
1: at the gum that he was picking up. Which you are not casual (laughs) and cool ever if you put gum back into your mouth once it spit out of your mouth. But I just want to stay for the record. So the way we record this podcast is that the day before we record, we watch the episode twice (laughs) and then we rewatch the episode the day after immediately before recording as like a refresher. We've had to live through this scene
0: three Three times times in the last
1: 24 hours, guys. (laughs) and i would like to say that every single time this episode like i'm watching this the episode scene. i cannot watch the scene i oh literally my close my eyes for the scene because it makes me physically ill but i forced myself to watch it in this last in this last watch because i was like i have to fully embrace it in order to be able to talk about it and i regret it because it's disgusting it's, it's it makes me feel physically ill it's <laughs>
0: And, okay we haven't, haven't even gone into the last part yet but what i would will say about this scene is that it is very mr bean interesting like yeah if, has, if anyone has like understands like who mr bean is it's like a like a tv series i guess and then it was also a movie and he's just, whatnot he's a character and yeah. he's this character that does these like painfully awkward yeah. things and and like gets into like weird pickles and then has to like kind of get out of them, and usually it loops around and he ends up getting what he wants or whatnot, but it's just, like,
1: the mm. most painful thing to watch. I have been petrified of Mr. Bean. Yeah. My, my earliest, if you don't already know me, I have severe anxiety, <laughs> and my earliest... The first panic attack I ever had, I was four years old watching the Mr. Bean movie in theaters and he sneezes on an oil painting and then tries to rub it clean and ruins the entire oil painting. And I had a panic attack at four years old and had to leave the theater because I couldn't handle how absolutely uncomfortable Mr. Bean is. And I think, I think that's where like why I'm such a socially awkward person in a lot of ways. Like, so, like I just, Maybe if you talk to me in real life, you think I'm not socially awkward because I'm like really good at acting. But like real life inside of me, like every moment of that Chandler scene was how I think in every single social situation I'm ever in. (laughs) I'm just like, oh God, how do I, how do I be cool? How do I say words? How do, how does words work? What are words? (laughs) What What are words? And then
0: everything gets so much worse for Chandler's pride and ego because he's then realizing that the gum he puts into his mouth is someone else's gum and he starts to choke on it and (laughs) it's so brutal and then Jill is like very skillful knows exactly what to do in an emergency and immediately identifies that he is choking (laughs) jumps up and gives him the Heinlein remover. and yeah, Jill's killing it and, as though like this is something casual and like she's a badass like, yeah, she's great. like to have that confidence to just be able to like get up oh and God, do the Trump- thing
1: yeah I don't know if I would be able to do that like if you were in the middle I would probably be like do you do you want me to help you <laughs> classic Quinn <laughs>
0: I don't want. Like, if you feel like you can get yourself out of this, then I just want to let you do your thing. Do I have
1: your consent to give
0: you the Highland <laughs> maneuver right now? <laughs> Which, like, no to self is probably not something you should be asking consent around.
1: You, yeah, I guess. I don't yeah. know. It's complicated. Consent is gray always. Oh my um. God. Anyways, except for when it's not gray and it's very. Except very for when obvious. someone
0: cannot indicate whether yeah. or not. Anyway, whatever. It turns out well because it apparently. This is the check. best icebreaker they could have had.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Chandler to have to choke to be able to have a woman speak to him.
0: <laughs> um, and Come then, on, and then, you know, Jill just continues to get cooler and cooler
1: in the way that she could do this really yeah. cool spinny thing with the pen. Yeah. And they end up hanging out and
0: having a great time.
1: And again, this is one of those moments where, like, 100% I am Chandler. In this situation, I would not be able to have the hand-eye coordination to whip a pen and, like, make my head go around it. Like, I, it just it's not going to happen.
0: But I also really love how clever she is when, after Chandler has the gum out of his, dislodged from his throat, and he's like, that was, uh, that was, and she's like, perfection? And it was just, like, beautiful, like, full circle, circle, like, very clever and, like, very kind, like just like so much compassion for this mm-hmm. person who has definitely come across as extremely creepy the entire time. Yeah, for um, sure. and to just play it off is like, I get the fact that you're just this really awkward <laughs> poor poor human.
1: <laughs> and for the record, so we polled everyone and apparently 67% of you have spit your gum out when trying to blow a bubble. So that's at least you're you know I guess um, the we're big question there.
0: is have you ever done it in front in front of someone? Who you're trying to be cool? Like, did that
1: sound... sound, sound I'm, sound? like, always trying to be cool around people. <laughs> it takes way more effort for me as an awkward person to be cool than a normal person to be cool. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I try I mean. very hard. <laughs> um. Yeah, wait, I wanted to talk about something else. Okay, I do want to jump back for, like, a quick second when he... Uh, when. Jill gives her phone to Chandler to call Joey and like Monica doesn't understand what's going on, but Joey does. And it's again, it's a little insight into like the Joey Chandler love. Like they're like, I d- dare I say the word bromance? Like
0: <laughs> I know, right? Like, like there's such like a, they're the original bromance. They're yeah, they're just like such a unit, and they understand mm-hmm. each other in a way that like yeah. you know that like only dentists understand humans. <laughs> yeah, um, only dentists. Well, you know when you're like the big joke is when you're in the dentist chair and they ask you a question and you're uh. like oh. and they're like
1: oh yeah. <laughs> Which actually happens. Which actually, oh my god, isn't there an episode in the future where Roz is having an allergic reaction, and then he's like trying to tell Joey something, oh, right. and then yes. like he can't speak, and he's like, ah, blah, 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 blah. and then Joey's like, okay, we got it, and Chandler's like, you understood that? And then Joey's like, yeah, my uncle had a really big tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so Joey understands how to speak and talk to me. So he doesn't some... understand much, but he
0: understands this. <laughs> Um, okay, I guess how this part, like, this storyline ends off with, I guess, Jill and Chandler being on, like, really good, a really good page, and, like, and Jill just sort of, like, I had a really good blackout, and, like, you know, gives him a kiss on the cheek, which we could dissect, um, and, and takes off. Right. Why could we dissect that? Well, I mean, that goes back to, like, you know the conversation about whether or not people actually want kisses and yeah and also like rachel kissing ross at the Mm -hmm. laundromat and sort of like this
1: generalized um assumption that men always want to be kissed
0: yeah exactly Mm -hmm. which then also leads into the idea that like men can't be raped and men always want to have
1: sex and it sort of plays into like Mm -hmm.
0: a whole slew of other issues which actually
1: turns into the conversation about the friend zone too in terms of the sense that like Obviously, a man in a relationship, in a friendship with a woman wants to always sleep with her. Kind of like the, oh my God, I'm going to make a wild, wild association. So, Jill Goodacre, who is in the show, she, like we said, she's an actual real woman, which is <laughs> an actual real supermodel, real <laughs> human. Um, She is married to Harry Comick, I believe his name is. And Harry Comick is, he was in Will and Grace. Um, Anyways, he was pretty big in the 90s. First of all, he she was... She married him in April 1994, so technically, if Jill is a real-life person in this episode that takes place in November, Jill is actually married when she's talking to Chandler. So I know some people are like, why didn't Chandler ask for Jill's number? A, Chandler's too awkward to do that. (laughs) Like, in
0: all serious, guys. (laughs) And and again,
1: maybe this is one of those situations where, like, we saw in the last episode where he kind of gives the woman an out. Maybe he didn't want to ask her for her number because, like, she's been kind of trapped in a situation with him all night. If she, if he asks her out, it's just going to make her feel uncomfortable. But I don't think Chandler's that deep. And then (laughs) third is because she's already married and maybe Chandler knows she's married. Well, I would assume he does. Yeah, maybe. But then, um, that being said, so Chandler—I mean, Jill—is married to Harry Comick, and Harry Comick actually—he's also not just an actor, but he's a producer and music producer, and he did the music for the TV sh- uh, for the movie When Harry Met Sally. Which, When Harry Met Sally, the whole premise of that movie is that men and women can't be friends. So that's my full circle. Oh my god! Boom. That maybe we'll cut this out. A giant circle. <laughs> But let's use that to segue into the fact that, hey, men and women can be friends. Let's talk about the friend zone. Okay, so then we pan
0: over to Monica's apartment. We have a few things going on. First, it's op- it's mainly opening up, and they're having this really classic conversation of, of like, who has slept in these strange places and blah, blah, blah. But should I give the answer on uh, the polls like, of who voted for, like which was the most, like, weirdest place. Oh, yeah, sure, why not? What, Okay, what I really liked about us going through each one and sort of, like, being, like, which one, like, how wild or weird do you think uh, each one of these are? I kind of like it because it's, like, brings into, like, people's own personal feels about what is yeah. either, like, weird or weird and in, in, you know, like, all those sort of, yeah. Things, you know. Um anyway, so Ross got the
1: weirdest place. Um, which that's, I feel like makes specific. sense. On a ride with potentially children around. That's that's a little sketch. Yeah, it is
0: <laughs> a little a little interesting. Maybe Joey... the height requirement was really, really high. <laughs> <laughs> there are tall children Quinn. <laughs> there <To our> are tall <laughs> children. Um, And then it was Joey, which is the women's room in the public library. Which,
1: fun fact about that, he says that he had sex on the second floor of the New York City Public Library, but fun fact, the New York City Public Library's bathrooms are actually located on the third floor. Thank you, IMDB.
0: (laughs) Okay, that is fun, actually. Um, And then we have Phoebe in Milwaukee. Yes. Um... (laughs) So Monica was actually last place and Rachel was second to last. Interesting. There was a few people that voted foot of the the bed being the most wild Mm. thing, which I thought... Might have been a little sarcasm. Now, let's get into the deeper aspect. Oh, actually, so the next thing that happens mainly is a conversation between Ross and Rachel. And I really love this conversation. This is one of the times that I think that what Ross has to say about a relationship is like, Super solid. And mm-hmm. what I think, like, just further, like, builds this aspect of his character, of being someone who, like, is really sensitive and really care, like... First of all, he's a realist. He's a realist, yeah. Second of all, um, wanting a long-term relationship. Long-term committed relationship, that's big for him, yeah. yeah. he's he's marriage material, guys. Um... <laughs> not anyone i'd marry.
1: But <laughs> true, so, someone's marriage material. Um yeah, i think i think a lot of people would be very happy in a relationship with Ross. Like let's just say that. I think a lot of people would be very happy yeah. in a relationship with Ross.
0: Yeah, and it's very clear that he wants a relationship. And I think that's what makes him marriage material, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, Chandler, who's not marriage material. And he's also, like,
1: the only... Sorry, I totally interrupted you, but he's (laughs) the only one who has, like, actually been in a long-term serious relationship out of all of them. He's been married. So, if anything, he's, like, he kind of has a bit more authority than the others when it comes to long-term relationship things. Yeah. Whatever, quote-unquote, authority means.
0: So... He puts out the statement of, I guess, when Rachel is kind of having this insecurity about the fact that she hasn't had passion, and he sort of explain, like, talks about the fact that like passion usually fizzles out in a relationship, but like what you're actually going for is, you know, a sense of like security and trust that is behind it that you've Mm -hmm. built. And, like, that is the foundation of your relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what you want long-term. And I thought that was probably one of the best things that Ross, like, the most wisdomous and, like, solid um, things that he says in probably the entire
1: series. I hope you realize that you just said the word wisdomous. Which is a Joey word, which, like, only I would would accept that as the same as the word wise, because Joey says it multiple times. Is it really not a real word? It's not a real word. It's wise. It's the most wise thing he said. But you said wisdom is, which is Joey, which, again, solidifies the fact that we know what we're talking about when it comes to friends, because we literally use Joey words. Anyways, continue.
0: Um... But, but all, all to say is that like um, I am in the camp of passion is overrated,
1: which is in interesting because people didn't say that. I, I know, know, I know. I was actually pretty surprised. What was it? Seventy percent said that no, passion is not overrated in a relationship, and it's it's hard to say because it's not like having passion or not having passion, right? I think like if a relationship has no passion at all, that's like that's potentially, you know, also an issue. But I think in the ways that like people put passion on a pedestal in the ways like that you see in romantic comedies or things like the Ross and Rachel relationship is just one, you know, like this this overemphasis on the like extreme levels of love, extreme fights, extreme mm-hmm. um sexual encounters, like extreme of everything in terms of like, yeah, passion and yeah. the ways that plays out. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, these extreme levels will not fizzle out per se, but will level out to a certain extent. And there needs to be more. There needs to be commitment. There needs to be communication. There needs to be um, empathy. There needs to be trust. And you can't just build a relationship on passion or it's it's honestly not going to go very yeah. far, in my I, opinion. And
0: also, it becomes really unhealthy when the thing is, like, when passion and these feelings of passion are put on a pedestal because when those things exist, but other things like trust and compassion and communication in your relationship don't, a lot of the time it's, people tend to end up continuing to be in relationships because there's this aspect of like, but we love each other as mm-hmm. though it is the defining reason to be in a relationship with yeah, someone. Yeah, love, love, love. Conquers all
1: Ro- is bullshit. Yeah, like all's fair in love and war and whatever. But like, yeah, like romantic love. I don't actually personally. Get that saying. You don't get that saying. Yeah, all's fair in love and war in the sense that if it's in the name of love or it's in the name of war, it doesn't matter. It's valid. Kind of like the idea that love is unconditional. Which love is unconditional can all can really play into like abusive power dynamics. The idea that like. As long as we're passionate and in love, anything goes, which is really harmful. Or they do these really shitty things, but I know that they love
0: me and therefore I need to stay with them. Mm -hmm. I know that they don't mean it because I know that they love Mm -hmm. me. And it's sort of like love and abuse Mm -hmm. are not
1: opposites of each other. Yeah. They do coexist. Which is why like I think maybe we should have phrased the question a little bit better because we phrased the question the way they they say it in the episode which is like is love overrated or like I think love is overrated or whatever he says but like passion I think is very integral to a relationship in terms of like energy building energy off of each other you know like. Mm -hmm. Um, one person getting involved in something and then someone else like pushing them to, to, to get involved in it or whatever it is like pursuing, pursuing individual passions, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but I think that when we, I think it's exactly what you said. When you put passion on a pedestal and you let the other things fall by the wayside, that's where like problems can come in, in a relationship. Yeah, for sure. All right, anywho, <laughs> moving on. That's uh, okay. Moving forward, I want to say that they're drinking out of really nice blue wine glasses. No, right? Which is like, I feel like if I remember correctly, that's a very nineties thing. Yeah, I like agree having with you. like tinted glass wine glasses,
0: plates, like little. I definitely plates. think it's a very nineties yeah. thing, and I feel like it's something we should bring back in.
1: Yeah, they're beautiful. I love them. Oh, I I feel medium about them. I like them as plates. I feel like wine glasses, like you want to see the wine. Whatever, I don't drink anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um Okay. So so let's, let's get into because immediately after this happens, Joey goes, It's never gonna happen.
0: Right. Because she like tussles his hair and he like okay, Rachel tussles Ross's hair and he kind of has this smirk on his face like he's accomplishing something and And he's laying
1: the groundwork
0: as he specifically is the phrase that he he uses. Yeah. Which can come across as very creepy. Yeah. Although I'll take this as not that anyway.
1: um, I I, I actually put a note that I think that that line is really sleazy. Like the idea of laying the groundwork again it's just it, it it's this idea that like Everything is a game. And in order to, like, get a woman's affection, you need to play a game. And you need to, like, be manipulative. And you need to, like, come up with a game plan. etc., yeah. etc. Et like, it just, it feels icky to me. It gives me the no feeling. I think the, your no <laughs> feeling
0: is correct. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely support you having the no feeling for that. And then, so this is when Joey says the line of, you're in the friend zone. Mm-hmm. Which... As we've mentioned in a past episode of this podcast, that Friends was actually one of the main reasons why this term and this concept was popularized. Mm -hmm. So, A, I think it's very important to deconstruct this as time goes on. Because they were the one that really brought it to the surface and has Mm -hmm. popularized it. For sure. And there's a lot of shit that has come out of it, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's a very problematic term.
1: But... So we've touched on the friend zone in past episodes of this podcast, Um, but I realized that like we didn't really touch on um, like what other people necessarily see the friend zone as. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, like in terms of more of the non-feminist analysis version of what the friend zone is. It's really like the idea that you have a crush on someone um, and they don't have a crush on you. Um, and instead they've kind of deemed you in their mind as a friend and therefore are not interested in any romantic involvement with you. The issue with this is that 99.9% of the time, this dynamic is usually between a man and a woman, um, who are both straight usually. Um, and it's the idea that a man is into a woman and she doesn't feel that way back. Um, and she's kind of put him in the friend category despite him being, like, a nice guy, a good friend, et cetera, et cetera, And I think there's, like, a really big overlap between the friend zone and, like, the nice guy syndrome. So I think we should talk about both of those yeah. kind of simultaneously.
0: And before we even start dissecting this, I want to just point out the fact that no matter which way you put it statistically, <laughs> like, not everyone is going to be into everyone if you're friends with people the majority of the time, they're going to consider you a friend.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, like,
0: it's just like, if you are willing to be friends with humans that you, of a gender that you are, you know, attracted to and is attracted to you, the reality is that statistically, you're not going to date them. Yeah, you're you're just, A, you're not going to date them, and B, the majority of them are not going to like you. I'm sorry, not
1: everyone is... Jill Goodacre, you know, um, no, yeah, totally, and and that's definitely that's definitely real, and I think that um, when I think of the problems around the friend zone, I think specifically around the idea that it comes back to what we were talking about of Jill, you know, not necessarily being able to trust the situation she's in um, because of the sense that like she doesn't know what this guy is thinking right and so like and you were saying then that you know two out of three people who are sexually assaulted are assaulted by someone they know and or trust and so to me it plays into the idea that you can't trust your
0: friends yeah cuz they could just be laying the groundwork in the yeah. background and having these expectations of yeah. like what they want the relationship to be without actually telling you and then going to people that you are interested in like, like, with Ross, Ross in this in this episode of, like, you know, this person that Rachel is interested in, he basically shows up and tries to, like, be physically intimidating mm-hmm. and tell him that he has rights to Rachel, even though she literally has zero idea that yeah. Ross has any interest
1: in her totally. at all. But yeah. he wants to claim her for himself. Yeah, he basically goes and, like, pees all over her. Like, like... You know, like, he's, like, marking his territory in this really, really not okay way. Like, I can't even imagine if I was friends with a guy who, one, I didn't know he was into me. And then, two, I, like, genuinely trusted and thought was someone I could trust. And he goes up to someone that I'm interested in and tells them not to date me because, He's already marked his claim on me. It's genuinely disgusting. And like, yeah. And and again, it's it comes off in this show as like, oh, Ross is kind of cute and just like really into Rachel and doesn't know how to deal with it. But like, I actually think that Joey kind of does a bit of a good job at the beginning where he's like, Look, dude, you gotta tell her how you feel. Like, nothing's stopping you at this point. You just got to tell her how you feel because, like, you can't just play this game, mm-hmm. you know? And, and of course, he's the one that actually uses the term the friend zone. But in but the way I, that Joey uses it, it's less of, like, the... Like, the root of his mm-hmm. conversation of what he's trying to get across is less, like, a
0: in the way that friend zone is mostly used now. Mm-hmm. And instead, it was a conversation or an encouragement of being, like, she doesn't see you outside of that because you have literally not ever indicated anything, ever indicated yeah. any interest
1: in her, and it's not her responsibility to assume that you like her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and yeah, and I I I so I actually think that Joey is kind of redeeming in this moment, and then like you know isn't in a variety of different ways. But
0: <laughs> other issues that come up with the concept of the friend zone
1: mm-hmm. is. Male sexual entitlement yeah. over women. Um like women owing men romance and sex, um if they're nice to yeah, them.
0: especially with like being a night nice, quote unquote nice guy. Yeah. Um and what has what often will end up being twisted into it as well is the concept of being a tease. I'm using my quotation air quotation yeah. marks of like femme folk. Either getting close or allowing, like, putting their guard down and being open and jokey or close with men. And then then saying that they don't want to have a romantic or sexual relationship or dynamic with that person. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of sexual entitlement existing of being like, well, I was nice to you and you yeah. made these indications and therefore you are just a tease. And I am owed
1: sex for yeah. this time that I've put in with you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally, And it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like women then have to be like, okay, can I trust this relationship that I have with this person or are they just trying, like, is he just trying to get into my pants sort of thing? Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it removes the genuine niceness out of the friendship and it becomes like almost like an exchange. He gives something and therefore he deserves something back. Yeah. Um, rather than like just being nice because you're a nice an actual nice guy and like wanting to be a good friend, like just being a good person, you know, regardless of what you quote unquote get out of it, you
0: know? Oh man. I remember reading this statistic once. It was a study done on first year university students in the States that it was like something absurd, like 80% of men who were polled believed that they deserved to have sex with their date if they paid for the dinner.
1: Oh, God, that's upsetting.
0: Yeah, which is... I have to find the actual statistic about that, and I'll post yeah. it up on on Instagram and mm-hmm. the show notes, but it was, like, an obscenely high percentage. Yeah. And that just kind of drives... And this was in the early 2000s, Um, but that just drives home, mm-hmm. like, the issue here, yeah. right? This, like, entitlement to... a sexual dynamic with someone
1: Mm -hmm. um yeah it's upsetting and then it's also like i i'm I'm trying to think in the headspace of someone who could be listening to this and being like well like ross is a nice guy like wouldn't he like you know why doesn't rachel want to date him he is a nice guy etc etc and i think like again it just reiterate like it doesn't matter if you're a nice guy women don't owe you anything and I, and I think that, like, it really, get, it, it frustrates me when you see this dynamic happen in which it's, like, it often is, like, becomes, like, the seeds of incels, the idea that, like, men who are, like, nerdy or, like, social outcasts or, like, you know, geeky, whatever, then, like, turn around and are upset that women aren't into them because, like, they are weird or geeky or social outcasts when... And then, like, they're like, oh, women won't date me because of blah, 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 blah. And then they, like, kind of build this pent-up anger against women. And then you see, like, mass shooters happen, you know? And, like, men killing their girlfriends or friends and whatever. It's, you know, what headline it is this week. But it's, like, again, it comes down to the idea that, like, if you're actually sitting there being upset that a woman won't sleep with you because you're such a nice guy... Maybe you're not a nice guy. <laughs> Maybe you're just yeah. if you're if you're upset that someone won't sleep with you because you're nice, newsflash, you're not that nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also furthermore, it's like why is niceness the only requirement that women should have? Yeah. You know, like first of all, especially like a se- just like casual sex aside, mm-hmm. but like having a relationship with someone, there's there's a lot of things that you should take into consideration if you like if yeah. you want to have a relationship with someone, yeah. like, do your values align? Not just if you're nice, but do your values align? Yeah. Do what you wanted of life align? Like, like having a relationship with someone in the way that Ross clearly wants a relationship mm-hmm. with, with Rachel, like, mm-hmm. it's not just something that, like, he should assume he's allowed to have with her mm-hmm. because Rachel might have certain... Things that she might want out of a relationship of a partner, with someone. Yeah. And, and so it's like being nice and having an interest in someone does not mean that you should be in a
1: relationship with that person. Yeah. You know, you could take it further in which, you know, so often, like there's like blatant forms of sexual assault, you know, and then there's like coercive forms of sexual assault in the sense that like women watch TV shows, women watch movies in which women are around people who have the mentality that if a man does something for them, then the woman in turn owes them something. And then women get coerced into having sex that is not consensual. It's not what they want, but they just feel because they've been pressured into it by society or by that actual individual that they owe them something for this person being nice to them. And you see it all the time in the media, on TV, whether it's like an actual, like real story of a woman being coerced into having sex. And like, again, it doesn't fit the bill of like what blatant sexual assault is, right? And this is where you get into the conversation about rape culture. Like, this is this idea that women owe men sex is, is rape culture. That's exactly what it is, or that anyone owes anyone sex, honestly, mm-hmm. because it, it becomes more pervasive than just you know, the, the straight men and women concept. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And so I want to conclude by saying having a crush on your friend and them not liking you back is a real thing. And it sucks. It's honestly, it's going to happen. It sucks sometimes, right? I've had plenty of friends, uh, plenty of crushes on friends and they didn't like me back, but feeling personally attacked victimized or being upset that your friend doesn't like you, despite you, one, never actually saying that you're into them and or two, being really nice to them is not valid. You can't be upset with someone for that reason. Well said. Thank you. And then I also just want to add
0: that, you know, having a friendship with someone or having a romantic relationship with someone is not superior to having a friendship with someone. Yeah. Um, oftentimes a romantic relationship is put on a pedestal. Having a romantic A platonic, <laughs> non-romantic. Yeah, a girl. platonic relationship with someone can be just as, if not more valuable, than any romantic relationship. You know, totally. like for example, like my relationship with you is so longstanding and so valuable that like, you know, like how like, it's not even really a comparable thing to any sort of romantic relationship that I would have with anyone, you know? So, anyway.
1: Thanks, I love you Love you, <laughs> Um. So, first of all, we meet Paolo, who is played by Cosimo Fusco. And Paolo is um, the Italian guy who lives in their building, um, and he is dreamy. Except not in that terrible shirt that he wears. Oh my god.
0: Also, I just think it's so funny because people voted him his outfit as the worst outfit of the episode. It is the worst outfit of the episode. And the second one was Ross, which those were the two I was hoping to be the worst. That's why we created the worst outfit (laughs) poll. Um, can, wait, can yeah. I just say one thing about the shirt though? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. How are you supposed to wear a backpack when you have buttons on your shoulder? It will hurt. It just doesn't make sense. You know what? You don't wear a backpack with that time, type of shirt. I'm just saying people are just not practical sometimes. And you know what? You know who's, who's someone who does wear shirts like that? Nora, our little baby
1: niece. It's a, it's a onesie. <laughs> it's a onesie shirt. Um, okay, sorry. Anyways. Um, so when he, when he actually walks into the building and meets everyone for the first time, he says like a line in Italian and the translation is actually, hey guys, I just moved in and I live in the floor below, so I guess I'll, we'll be seeing quite a lot of each other. Oh, so friendly. <laughs> so friendly. Um, uh, and then when Rachel introduces Paolo to Phoebe, he says, Phoebe, you're gorgeous too. If you're all this beautiful, I'll move right here. <laughs> really? it's just hilarious but apparently so I was reading I was looking at a little bit of information about the actor who plays Paolo who by the way today is very very dreamy very foxy foxier <laughs> than he was in the 90s oh my god um <laughs> Also better dressed. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Everyone
1: is better dressed than they but were But those the 90s. shirts were so in
0: in the 90s. that's yeah, anyway.
1: um, Anyways, yeah, he was saying that they literally just told him to kind of say anything in Italian. They didn't really care what he said. They just said, like, say things in Italian. So when he's, like, looking at the stars at the window with Rachel and he's speaking Italian, he's like, Guel de la luna, Guel de la luna. And... Like Joey, I mean, Ross makes fun of him and goes, blah, 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 blah. Like, he's kind of just like saying anything. Because what he actually says is, look at the moon, look at the stars, look at everything that's beautiful. (laughs) That's what he said. Which is great, so yeah. But I want to talk about Paolo in the sense of I think that this is one of those cases where someone would look, watch the show and be like, "This is the nice guy thing." Like Ross is a really nice guy, and Rachel's not dating him. But here is this guy Paolo that Rachel has nothing in common with. She can't even speak the same language. But just because he's good looking, she wants to sleep with him, you know? And like, which is okay. Exactly. That's all I wanted to say. I just that's all I wanted to say is the fact that like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe, like, all she wants is that. Maybe, which she kind of
0: indicates in this episode.
1: Yeah, she's like, we have nothing in common. We blah, 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 blah. Like, we can't even speak the same language. She literally says that. But she's like, but, uh, you know? And you're like, like, yeah, Rachel, been there. (laughs) Yeah. I wanna talk a little bit just briefly and just like kind of do a, a little side by side comparison of the three guys. We didn't even get into the fact that Phoebe is the last to know about anything and then Ross is supposed to plan a surprise party for Monica. I don't feel like there, there's a lot of and like Monica, you know, has that thing where she like you you find out that Monica had a crush on Joey when when Joey first moves in, which I think which is. Which will be
0: reiterated later on.
1: Yeah. And I think it's pretty cute. And like. Yeah. But then Joey, in the DVD version, Monica tells Joey that the reason why she liked him is because of his arms. And then, like, in another scene later on in the episode, Joey goes to, like, pick up a chair, being like, look at me lifting something in order to show Monica his arms, which I think is really funny. Yeah, you know, he's like, like he's, he's. Do anything for you, Monica? Yeah. Like, he's clearly, like, kind of teasing her and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so I actually think, like, if we were to, like, what the characters, in terms of problematicness of this episode, Joey is actually, like, the least problematic in this episode. He's kind of funny. He's telling Ross to, like, frickin' talk to Rachel. Except at one point, he kind of, like, he kind of... Joey basically tells Ross, or, like, indicates to Ross that he should go talk to Paolo. Like, he kind of, like, eggs him on in a way, which is... Oh, I didn't catch an that. issue. Yeah. yeah, he kind of, like, it's, it's a little bit behind the scenes. But besides that, Joey's, like, really not the worst in this episode. Um, Chandler is, like pretty medium and you know we were talking about like the three different forms of toxic masculinity there's like that guy who's like telling you that you're in the friend zone <laughs> that's a problematic dude there's the guy who's like believes that he is in the friend zone and that he can you know stake his claim on rachel that's a problematic dude and then there's chandler who's like accidentally creepy In a way that, like, he's not trying to be. Like, when he smiles at her and then he's like, oh my god, you're creeping around and he walks back. And, like, he's kind of... But
0: then also, like, very drastically sexualizes women. And the reason why he's so freaked out talking to them is because he's, like, created this, like, otherness of, like, women. And he's still very much a part of the sort of, like, trying to, like, play the game and, like, of, like, that ends up being... A very manipulative game of, like, Mm -hmm. being, like, the dance of being, like, the other sex in, you know, quotation marks.
1: And... The show does such, like, a men versus women thing. Like, it's, like, an overarching theme throughout the whole show. Like, men and women are so different. You socialize them that way. The patriarchy did it! (laughs) I'm just thinking of, you know, the cakes for... Oh my god, oh yeah, we should totally link that video on our Facebook. We're going to link a great video about, it's called Gender Explained by Cis People from by Their Cakes. It's a hilarious video. Anyways, basically, gender is fluid, sexuality is fluid, consent is important, and there's no such thing as the friend zone. Drop the mic. Actually, don't drop the mic because it's very expensive. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, is that all you wanted to say for this episode? Uh, I think so.
0: Um, is there? Any- oh, I want to point out that this is the first time that we meet Mr. Heckles. Oh yeah. I, and if you haven't seen the series yet, very much look forward to seeing more of him. Yes. I also want to take a moment to be like this. I feel like this show is such a Ross in a nutshell, including the situation with the cat. <laughs> right where yeah, we didn't
1: talk about the cat
0: <laughs> where. He completely freaks out when a cat jumps onto his shoulders, Mm -hmm. which, like, there is a little part of that that's, like, valid, but -hmm. then there's a thing where Ross takes something that is, like, valid to an extent, and then makes a really big deal deal about it. Yeah, he turns himself into an entire, like, victim, villainizes the cat entirely, doesn't care if it gets trampled, and is a big, giant baby about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just... I just feel like... Like, Ross is a nice guy.
1: Yeah. But... Yeah. But... It's tough. And and again, like... I feel like we're going to get so much heat for shitting on Ross so much like <laughs> the way buffering the vampire slayer literally lost followers. I was listening to an episode they literally lost followers because they were sick of of them constantly shitting on Xander. I, I want to not lose you if you're upset that we're shitting on Ross but like I think that the whole point of this, this podcast is to talk about the ways in which you know the media portrays really problematic relationships and like realistically, if Ross was my friend, like, I think I would call him out on these things. I wouldn't necessarily not be friends with him, you know? Like, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, just talk to your friends. Create a precedent in your friendships. Like, recognize the ways in which your friends can um, propagate toxic masculinity and call them out on it. And this especially goes for the men listening to this podcast. Talk to your dude friends. Like, don't let them play into these really harmful ideas around relationships and sex and consent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I find that also the whole point of us making this podcast is that we recognize that we love this show. Like We are obsessed with friends. But just because you find issues within something doesn't mean that we should completely detach ourselves from it. Especially, I think, especially things that we grew up on Mm -hmm. and basically we're part of us being socialized into the adults that we are today Mm -hmm. i think that there's so much value in recognizing that you love something and going through it and Mm -hmm. understanding the inner depths of it Mm -hmm. and and then seeing it for what it is but that doesn't mean that we have to stop loving it and i think ross is included in that especially because Mm -hmm. like the reality is the show would not be the same without ross and ross at the end of the day is probably my favorite character yeah like he in and of himself is adds so much to the dynamic he is an incredible actor like david schumer is an incredible actor he delivers everything so well um and he he is a certain comedic relief like something we'll continue to talk about is that like ross Mm -hmm. is one of the only characters that does not grow he stays the same and and there's, I would argue differently, but we'll have this for a different conversation. Right. I, yeah. My argument is that he is the same character. He doesn't have any character development, except that he's just dealing with different situations mm-hmm. throughout the 10 years as his same self. And, okay, so maybe I'm wrong. But the idea behind it is, in my theory, is that like it's because there's such a value to him being this way to yeah. the show and to the comedic relief. Um, all to say that if you love Ross, we love Ross too. But that's not going to stop us from deconstructing each one of these characters and understanding how they have influenced our ideas around relationships, consent, sex, and everything else that we don't actually
1: properly deconstruct in our lives. Because in the words of Albus Dumbledore, it takes a great deal of courage to stand up to your em- enemies, but a great deal more to t- stand up to your friends. <laughs> Also, side note, J.K. Rowling sucks, but Albus Dumbledore does not. He's okay, dead. Okay, so I guess all there's
0: left to say is uh, go follow us on Instagram because Woo. you'll see the results of our polls. Um, and a little bit more, we add some other tidbits. We're also going to post a photo of Paolo today because... Woo-hoo. Damn. Damn.
1: Um, and there will not be an episode next week. Season 1, Episode 8 won't be released until August um, 8th. Um, and so go follow us at
0: WT WTFalange. Follow us on Facebook as well because that's like now up and active. Um, and then
1: also follow us individually. Um, you can find me. My handle is at Yoga, or my website emilybyoga.com. You can
0: find me at... QuinnKBrunet.com or at the handle QuinnKBrunet on various social media outlets, including Twitter. Now, All right,
1: big deal. Talk to you soon, guys. Can't wait. Let us know how you feel about next episodes.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of What the Phalange. If you're picking up what we're putting down, please consider supporting us on Patreon, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, and or sharing us with all of your friends on social
1: media. You can find us at whatthephalangepodcast.com, email us at wtphalange at gmail.com, DM us on Twitter at wtphalangepod, or follow us on Instagram at wtphalangepodcast. All links will be included in the show notes below. Want to get in touch with us each
0: individually? You can find Emily on Twitter as Emily B underscore underscore. And that's Emily with an IE. And you can find Quinn at the Basic NB
1: on Instagram. Keep deconstructing and diversifying the media you consume.